Today we are in the home stretch of a series uh, we began this year, at the beginning of this year, entitled Fresh Start. And uh, whether you have been part of this series since the beginning, or if today is your first time with us, or maybe your first time in a while, uh, here's the bottom line of the whole series, and you'll find this in the top of your notes today. It's this. It's what we said last week. It's renewing our commitment and aligning our everyday rhythms towards actually making disciples. It's renewing our commitment. A fresh start for us means this. It means renewing our commitment and aligning our everyday rhythms towards actually making disciples. Now, last week we talked about missional communities and how they're essential to disciple making. And today I want to talk about how missional communities prepare uh, and really commission people to actually make disciples. In other words, this talk today is all about what missional communities look like. And uh, listen, I, before we even just talk about this, let me just ask you a question. How many of you have ever made a commitment to something that you knew very little about? Very little about. You made a commitment to something that, in hindsight, you were like, yeah, I was thinking I was getting one thing, and I got another. Anyone ever experienced that? Yeah, all the married people should definitely... And we laugh because it's true. And all of you, I'm going through premarital. <laughs> You'll get it. In fact, the other night, Leona and I were getting ready for bed. And uh, one of us, I'm not going to say who, desperately needed a pimple popped in a place that could not be reached probably by normal people. I guess there's probably a YouTube video where someone's doing the move and they can reach it. And... Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and uh, I'll let you try to figure out who was doing the popping and who was getting popped. Uh, but listen, I remember looking at Leona and going, yeah, I never imagined 15 years ago this is what marriage looked like. And so there we were. Um, and maybe that was too much information for you to start, and that's totally cool. Maybe I'll pray, and then you can leave. Um, I'll, I'll do that, just because some of you need to go throw up in your mouth a little bit. That's all right. Uh, we just like to keep it real. Um, so real, real Church is our, our sub-name. Um, but over the last several weeks, we've been trying to enter in this conversation about what it means to be on a community on mission. And I know that there are some of you who have very little knowledge of what life in community looks like. I get that. In fact, I get the people like, okay, you had me about the why, you had me about the need for discipleship, but Phil, what does this really look like? And so I get those questions, and I, as I said over the last several weeks, just hang on, we're going to get there, and I'm going to talk about it, and today is the day I'm going to talk about it. And, or, or maybe, you know, not that some of you don't know, maybe some of you, your only experience with community was being in a small group uh, called, I don't know, like Women in the Word, when... All you really wanted to do was be in a small group called Beer in the Bible, right? Like, amen, right? You know, sign me up for that, yeah. Um, and so your only experience of community was kind of like this convoluted Bible study, and you're like, I didn't really feel like I connected. I, maybe I felt like I learned something, but if at the end of the day, I just kind of got a book now with some of my writing in it that I could put on the bookshelf and say, I grew in discipleship, and that's kind of about it. And last week we talked about how the risk of isolation is also much greater than the perceived risk of being in community, while at the same time admitting that community is messy, right? We talked about that. I'm not going to go back into that. But the point I was trying to make was that 
Jesus community doesn't mean you get to be with people who are easy to be with. It means you get to be with people who have been forgiven by Jesus, just like you, and together you are helping each other learn to love and live like Jesus loved and lived. And that's what it all means. And so regardless of your experiences of what it looks like to be in community with others, I want to spend some time today and maybe paint as clear of a picture as I can of what being involved in missional community with clarity looks like. So this, this is going to feel a little bit more like, uh, like a conference on missional communities and less like a thus saith the Lord in the Bible, okay? So if you were looking for that, um, you can go to BethlehemBaptist.com. You can find that out right now, and they're going to do an amazing job. But today we're going to talk about how we approach disciple-making through missional communities. And I'll talk about the practical specifics of how we approach disciple-making through missional communities. But before I do that, I do, because, you know, we do believe that the Scripture informs our everyday lives. I do at least want to take a look real quick at how Jesus modeled his earthly ministry of making disciples. Uh, most of us know that we talk about Matthew 28 a lot, the, the great commission of going into all the world. But And, and, and after, after Jesus discipled his followers, Jesus, he's, you know, all through Matthew, from Matthew 4 on, he, he, he's discipling his, his, his followers and he's making disciples out of them. And then what does he do in Matthew 28? He then commissions them to be disciples who even make more disciples. But he doesn't tell them to make up a new plan for discipling people. He doesn't go, all right, I've spent all this time teaching you how to do it, so go and create a brand new plan that looks totally different than what I taught you. No, in fact, he tells them to imitate his plan. He says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what you need to know is the disciples know when maybe you're not familiar with the Bible. When Jesus says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they go, oh, like you were Jesus, baptized in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. So that's why we believe, actually, baptism, it's not essential for you to be saved, but it's an essential part of obedience towards the gratefulness that God has actually saved you through faith, by grace alone. And so that's why we believe in that, okay? So you should get baptized, Jesus was baptized. So Jesus said, I was baptized. It's good enough for me. Baptize others when they say yes to me in faith. Teach these new disciples. Here it goes on. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands. What? That what? I have given you. And so Jesus is saying here, look, I, I taught you a way. Just go and do it. I gave you some instructions you go, yeah, I know the Pharisees and I know the Sadducees got their laws and their sub-laws and their sub-sub-sub-laws. But remember what I told you? The two greatest commandments are to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember all these commands and all the other little things, remember? Blessed are the, are the, are the meek. Blessed are the poor. Blessed, be thee. Do this. Love your enemies. Pray for them to hurt you and to spitefully use you and persecute you. Oh, that sounds kind of hard. Yeah, that's the Jesus way. If you've never read the gospel, you should. Jesus is a pretty smart guy. And Jesus essentially says, in the same way as I have discipled, you go and disciple others and do it until all the nations are discipled in my way. This is what he means. Be sure I'm with you always because the idea that we 
could carry the gospel in ways that would spread through the whole world to this New Testament budding church seemed impossible. But we're here today. Here, all the way in America. Not because, according to John Smith, Jesus came to America after he showed up and, you know. We are here today because of the testimony of a risen Savior who died and rose again for you and for me, and it literally changed the world. And it's literally changing us. That is the power of the gospel. So this is, this is what Jesus said. Disciple people the way I discipled you. And so what is the way of Jesus? Well, before there was Matthew 28, there was Matthew 4, right? Some of you in your Bibles, it says the ministry of Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, and we'll just read this together. Matthew 18, 19. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. I love what Greg Finke, the author of Joining Jesus on His Mission, uh, writes. He says this, when it comes to making plans for growing as a disciple and making disciples, I generally see that most people's plans, most people's plans fall into one of three categories. One, no plan. <laughs> Two, a plan for scholarship. Uh, this plan ultimately evaluates success by asking, well, are people learning enough? And in this plan, Jesus' invitation to come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, morphs into, come, follow me, and I will make you a scholar. And classes could be good. What about discipling? Uh, third plan is a plan for membership. In this kind of plan, discipleship is primarily about membership. We send the person through an assimilation process. We have lots of options for groups, ministries, circles, teams, studies, volunteer assignments. We evaluate progress by asking, is this person active enough in church? With this kind of plan, Jesus' invitation to come follow me and I will make you fishers of men morphs into a Come follow me, and I will make you an active member. Being an active member at church can be good. But what about discipling? What about discipling? There's another option, and that option is found in the way Jesus engaged people in discipleship. Greg Finke says it this. He says, Jesus' plan for discipleship is a plan a relationship. That's not my idea. I just stole it from the book. I liked it, and now I'm going to make it mine. Jesus' plan for discipleship is a plan for relationship. Think about it. Jesus said, follow me. And then he said, I will show you. Follow me, and I will show you. Between Matthew 4 and Matthew 28, we see a Jesus who chooses to live life in community with others. He did. And it wasn't just any kind of community. It was the kind of community where Jesus would invite them so deeply into his own life that they could actually imitate his life. I like what 
missiologist Joe Saxton says regarding the significance of imitation in disciple-making, she says this, imitation requires access to your life. Imitation requires access to your life. And the most helpful access we can offer to people we are trying to make disciples of is full access. That's some crazy, risky stuff. This means access to both our wins and our misses, our strengths and our weakness, our struggles and breakthroughs, our sin, but more importantly, our journey of repentance. They need to see that. It's allowing another to see into my life as it is for the sake of building both trust and understanding for how life with Jesus actually works. Lately, I've been ruminating on this phrase that I kind of borrowed from another pastor and tweaked the word so it could fit my missiological, theological understanding a little better because I thought it was catchy, but I didn't think it was complete. So uh, I've been messing with this phrase. Following Christ doesn't necessarily make your life better but it does promises to transform your life into Christ, which makes you better at life. Does that understand? You make sense? Uh, following Christ doesn't make your life better. I, if someone told you that being a Christian will make your life better. <clears throat> Sorry. But tr- listen, choosing to follow Christ is a comes with it, a promise of transformation into Christ-likeness, which in turn makes you better at life. Jesus' plan for discipleship is also a plan for replication. In Matthew's account of Jesus' last words on earth, he uses the word, go. Okay, Uh, in the dictionary, the word go means to go, right? Go. To not stay here, to move forward, to go, <laughs> right, right, right? And, but yet we have a lot of people, we have a lot of churches. My life in seasons of my own spiritual walk has looked like this. I, I'm, I'm not just going to point fingers. This is the real truth. It's looked like this. People, you need to go. I'll watch. Go! Oh, good job. Oh, you, oh over there. <laughs> okay, family, let's just continue to do our life. And, you know, I'll pay my bills and I'll make sure my kids act good. And, you know, make it to both soccer and Woodbury and a play in Maple Grove. I'm going crazy this weekend. Anyone, parent, ever been there? Yeah. But at some point, you got to go. In John's account, Jesus records Jesus saying 
giving this speech. You know, this is the this is his last words to his guys. Matthew twenty. It's the last thing I got to say to you. The last thing, my last words, go into all the world, make disciples. In John's account of the gospel, I, I like how John records Jesus saying this. He says this, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So making disciples by living the way that Jesus lived means that we say every follower of Christ is to live how Jesus lived. What they received, they now give. This is what it means to live sent. To live sent. Christ has made you new. And so you go and get the opportunity to help other people be renewed and restored to Jesus Christ. So, okay. How do we live out this plan for relationship and re replication through community? This is the nuts and bolts. Are you ready for the nuts and bolts? Okay. This is, you're actually going to listen to it and you're going to like, eh. or actually some of you might go, ooh, that sounds really hard. I don't like that. And that's cool. That's totally fine. But like I said last week, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that some way, somehow, you are finding an a way. It doesn't have to, it, look, church is bigger than us, people. Like, there's no guilt, no shame. I, I really mean this. No guilt. I'm not trying to guilt anyone to join community groups. Like, there's nobody I report to who, like, gives me a bonus for making more people join community groups. The whole reason why I want you to get in community groups is simply because of this. I want our church to make more disciples. I just want us to make more disciples. I want to dunk more and more people. I want to see more and, me pe more and more people say yes to faith in Jesus. I want to see more and more people saying, I used to be this way, but now through Christ I am living and believing this way. I want that. Don't you want that? And, and this is just the way I'm leading our church through this. And so if you're not going to do this, that's great. But I hope if you're a follower of Christ, you find some way in your life to engage in a community that will help you actually make disciples. Because that's what we believe community does. We believe actually community is essential to disciple making. We said that last week. So, okay. I'm not here to preach last week's message. I'm here to tell you what we're going to do. So here's what we do. Here's how we make disciples to community. This is a lesson we've learned over the past three to four years in trying to live out this missional community life here in the West Twin City suburbs. And this is working for us. First, this is what we do. We remind each other of our true identity and mission in Christ. Now, some of you are like, why does that matter? Listen, because we forget who we are. And nothing destroys the human soul than forgetting. Nothing destroys the human soul more than forgetting who they are in Christ. Right? Nothing. Nothing destroys the human soul more than forgetting who we are in Christ. And so, we need to be reminded of that. This is what Jesus means when he says to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I have many, many talks where I've talked about this idea of like baptismal identity. There's that little phrase there. 
Uh, it's not meant to, to, to confuse you. It's actually a good theological phrase you should understand. I'm not going to shy away from it. But this idea of baptismal identity, this refers to, that, to, to the reality that our submission to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior means now that our names are new. We are now baptized in the name of because we get a new identity. This becomes our name. And what is that name? The name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so we are baptized in the name of the Father, which means that what? If God is our Father, then we are what? You know some of you, what? We're his children. And so guess what? We live life as family. And then I love what... uh, uh, something that pastor missiologist Hugh Halter once wrote. He said, Christians often make it sound like Jesus came only to die for sin and then make converts. Go a religion called Christianity and, and, and make more converts. But God never wanted converts, church attenders, prisoners, or parishioners. Listen, he just wanted his family back. I think about what it means to be a father. And the terrible nightmare of what it would mean to lose my family. And if I had a chance to win them back, even Liam Nielsen couldn't outdo me <laughs> in getting my daughter back. Right? You only know the things I could do. Anyways, but what would you do? He would do anything. And guess what God did? Just that. Learning to live all of life like Jesus is not about conversion. This is still Hugh Halter. It's about adoption. We are a part of his body, members of God's household, bride and groom. This understanding is so important because if you miss it, you'll head out your door in the name of Jesus and make prisoners instead of priests, converts, Instead of cousins, Pharisees, instead of family members. I believe that. Practically speaking, speaking, this is what our motivation is all about, to live life in community. It's a direct outflow of our choice to live life like family with others who follow Christ because that's what we are. We are family. Wait, wait, okay, okay. You knew I was going to do that. Come on. So, little sister sledge. Anybody got, you got, anybody got love? Nobody got love? All right, never mind. Listen, so we, we, we remind each other of our identity in Christ. And we remind each other of our mission, that we're, we're meant to go out and make disciples. So we remind ourselves each other of that each week in the flow of our, well, each time that we gather in the flow of what we're doing. A second thing we do is we remind each other that in here is for out there. I want everyone to say that. In here is for out there. In here is for out there. Okay, so we're going to be saying this a lot. You're going to be part of community with me. This means that the all-nation part of the Great Commission is true. (laughs) That what happens with 
us is meant to go out. And it's easy to focus on ourselves in here and forget about the mission of God out there. This means that every time we get together, we hold each other, hold each other accountable to make sure that what we do in here, our missional community, is for the sake of joining Jesus on his mission out there. And so, how do we do this? Well, we're committed to learning and listening well and asking good questions. Committed to learning it. And some of you don't listen well, me included. And some of you don't ask good questions well. But we all can learn. And this is a, this is a journey for us, growing in emotional and social health in a diverse community so we can grow in connecting naturally in friendships with people in our circles of influence who happen to be diverse as well. This means learning to listen well and resisting the urge to make every conversation about you. This means learning to embrace the awkward of relationships in an environment that it is safe to not yet have everything figured out, where a social mishap on your part doesn't equal social disaster and inability to connect with the community. It's safe to actually mess up because at the end of the day, we all admitted that community is messy and we are all messed up anyways. This means loving and accepting people who may have different opinions, likes, maybe even political views, but, but... Listen, but share a love and a commitment to increasingly become more and more, not Republican or Democratic, but more and more like Jesus. That's the most important thing. So we're committed to learning to listen well and ask good questions. Also, we're committed to learning to speak the gospel to each other regularly, naturally, and effectively so we can understand and be prepared to share the truths of the gospel with those who are not yet a part of the family of God. This means that we don't just offer good advice to each other when we listen to one another, talk about our lives. We just don't, we just don't give words of encouragement when someone is going through a tough time. We actually practice speaking. We actually practice learning to speak gospel truths into each other's lives in ways that feels natural and appropriate to the conversation and doesn't feel like someone trying to make everything like a religious illustration. We want to be able to talk about the gospel and the realities of who Christ is naturally in the flow of conversation. And I can give tons of examples, but it would take up all of our time. But how, how do you learn to bridge the gap between listening to someone's everyday conversations and speak gospel truth into that in ways doesn't feel, doesn't feel like you're preaching to them. You can do this. You can speak about the goodness and the truth of God in your everyday conversations without sounding like a weirdo. Okay? All right? You can do this. You can do this. You can learn if you join a community on mission. And the other thing we do Every time we get together is we prompt gospel-centered reflection and missional conversation with something that we call the five questions. So if you've been part of missional communities with us, you already know these questions, but for the sake of all those who've never heard of these, I'm going to talk about it. Every week, we use the following 
five missionally focused questions to reveal where our need for the gospel is and to help us create goals and evaluate our pursuit of living life on mission. Each of these questions also carries with them assumptions that help keep us accountable to discipleship rhythms. Here's the questions. First one's this. How do you see God at work in your life this week? How do you see God at work in your life this week? This not only gives us an opportunity to share testimony of what God is up to, but it teaches us to be the kind of people who believe that God is always at work and that God is asking us to pay attention and instead of trying to figure out what God wants me to do, just recognize that God is work and he's asking you to join him on his mission. And each of these questions also carries with them assumptions that help us keep us accountable to discipleship rhythms. And so we are the people who naturally walk around every day going, God, what are you up to? We wake up in the morning, oh my goodness, God, what are you up to? It's too early. <laughs> are you even awake? Right now. I mean, what we, we ask, we, we ask God to show us the realities of the kingdom in every place we go with everyone we meet. Second question is this, what has God been teaching you in his word? This not only allows us to learn how God's word is living and active in the everyday rhythms of our lives as we hear other people begin to talk about how the scriptures is actually making a difference in their lives, which is, by the way, the New Testament model of the most effective way the word of God finds itself living and active, pierce, you know, sharper than any two of sword. It's always been through the community of faith that the word of God has been shared. The idea of like a guy like me coming up here and speaking so strongly that your life is forever changed wasn't even a concept in the early church. The early church was about people sharing with one another how God's word, how what Jesus' teaching was making a difference, and they shared. What did Jesus say? He said this. Oh my goodness. And so, therefore, the church grew and disciples became made and people became stronger and stronger and deeper and deeper followers of Jesus. We want to get back to that. So we speak about what God is teaching us through his word with each other. But it also, asking this question holds us accountable. Because if you know you're going to be asked what God is teaching you through his word, you probably need to be someone who is what? Oh my goodness, y'all are so smart. Right! If you know, then you'll do. Third question, what kind of conversations are you having with those who are disconnected from God? This is a question I don't think it's asked a lot in Christian circles. I don't even know if I've been to a Bible study that has asked this question. And this is actually the point of all of our learning and our missioning, or whatever that, that's not even a word. The assumption here is that we're all people who are building relationships with people who are disconnected from God. That's what we're doing. And we're doing it with people in our circles of influence, not because we want to convert them, but because... God has already sent us into the places we are planted to be missionaries of his gospel and the realities of the kingdom of God. And so we love like Jesus loved, even while we were still sinners and knowing that everyone would not choose to follow him, he still gave his life so that everyone could be given a chance to experience the love of the Father. 
We live like Jesus lived, who, as Luke 2.52 tells us, spent 30 years, even before starting his earthly ministry in his life, with the kind of integrity, humility, kindness, and love that caused him to grow in reputation with those around him. So this is what we're committed to. Fourth question, what good can we do around here? The assumption here is that we are people who are doing their best to live out the many New Testament commands for disciples of Jesus to do good. Hebrews 10.34 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another towards acts of love and good works. Did you know that's why we existed? Did you know that? So whether it's all of us coming together to help someone who just lost their job by a new washer because theirs went out, or it's partnering with uh, uh, PRISM to build move-in kits for people who were previously homeless, but with the help of local churches like us and missional communities, people are finding jobs and then establishing themselves in a place that they can call home. This is what we do. We do good. And we ask, what good can we do around here? Because having done good is not good enough. We want to spur each other towards love and good doing. We want this to be the rhythm of our life. The last question we ask is how can we come alongside of you in prayer? The assumption is that we are people who are in regular connection with God and that we are people in regular dependence of God. Pastor Ben from Northridge Fellowship, some of you know him, one of the churches that planned us, he, he always tells his church, I love this, I don't know where he got it from, but he always says this, nothing of eternal significance ever happens apart from prayer. Nothing. He believes it. I think I'm learning to believe it with my community. And every day I follow Jesus. And every day I lean into a life of prayer. I learn that prayer changes things. And you can too, no matter where you are in your journey of faith. Prayer changes things. It really does. But even more important, we believe the ministry of prayer. We believe in the ministry of prayer. And, and, but we also know that not everybody is comfortable with or know how to minister in prayer. And so what missional communities do is it creates an opportunity where those who have said yes to following Jesus, who said yes to the commitment of becoming a disciple of Jesus, can begin to learn to engage in what we call the ministry of prayer. And so there's no judgment in these missional communities just maybe because you followed prayer after someone who sounded really amazing and you're like, all I got is, dear Jesus, yeah, what he said. You can start there. On a community on mission, you can learn to talk to your Heavenly Father. This is what we do when we gather. We eat, we connect, say hi, high five, maybe do the floss. No, not the floss. No. The dab? No, 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 no more. Okay. So we eat, we connect, we make it awkward. <laughs> yes, I'm an expert at that. And then somewhere in the time of our togetherness, we remind each other. So let's bring it back. Sorry. I took it there, but I'm trying to bring it back. I really am. I took it there. My bad. 
But in our time together, what we do is we try to remind each other of our true identity and our mission in Christ. And then we sit and we begin to remind each other that in here is for out there and prompt gospel-centered reflection and missional conversation with five questions. With the five questions. And if you've never experienced this, I, I'm here to tell you, like, those questions change everything. And then we pray with one another. And that's what we do. And we make disciples. And we encourage one another. And we create environments where you can feel prepared, equipped, and held accountable to actually making disciples. Disciples. 